1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 15. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that that by doing right, you silence the ignorance of foolish people. Babylon Babylon had this false sense of security. They thought because their cities were so fortified with those massive, thick 22-foot walls, those 100-foot towers and 90-foot high walls, that they had moats inside and outside those bronze gates, that they were just, nothing could get to them. Well, God, however, had different plans. And he told those plans about 200 years prior to the fall of Babylon. Daniel, during this time, once again, interpreted a message. And that was that message that that hand appeared and wrote on that wall. The king was kind of curious, does this really have anything to do with me? And no one could answer that question. And he was reminded by the queen, there is a man that can. And that man's name is Daniel. Well, Daniel came up and did what he did with all the other kings. He interpreted what was done what they dreamed about, et cetera, et cetera. And then once again, he was greatly rewarded. He was told, here's this beautiful purple robe and this gold pendant, and by golly, you're going to be the third in line to take over the kingdom if something ever happens. This lasted less than one night because that very night, the kingdom was handed over to the Medes and the Persians. The Babylonians were weighed in the balances, and were found wanting. The new ruler Darius saw something in Daniel and actually left Daniel in place and in charge of the position that he had earned. And I say earned because he earned everything through the help of God when he was serving King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's pick up now with Daniel 6, verses 1 through 3. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom to be in charge of the whole kingdom and over them, three commissioners of whom Daniel was one, so that these satraps would be accountable to them and the king would not suffer loss. Then then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king intended to appoint him over the entire kingdom. World history of this period has no record of a ruler named Darius. None whatsoever. However, there are three possible explanations for this. The first may be that Darius, well, he was simply uh, Sirius Cyrus under a different name. It is also possible that Darius was actually Cambyses, son of Cyrus, who served under his father as ruler of Babylon and later inherited the throne of the entire empire. It may be, as I stated two weeks ago before Easter at this time, and that's what I firmly believe, is that Darius was an ancient official known as Guru in ancient documents that were discovered and are now in possession and shown. You can see them if you go over to England and look in their Natural History Museum. In fact, Darius may be just being honorific title, title like some of them others, the holder of the scepter. Ancient documents do show that the man Guburu had the power to make appointments to assemble kingdoms, palaces, and uh, make an army, levy taxes, 
and do all these different things that a ruler would do. And Guberu was in a very real sense the king over Babylon. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. When a follower and believer of Christ is obedient, especially in their walk, in his or her walk, it tends to draw people to them. They want to hang out with them to see just what exciting things are going to take place. They want to see why you can't figure out why there's such terrible things happening and you're not overly concerned or worried about anything. I believe that Daniel was one of these type of people. He had this wonderful walk. He had this wonderful prayer life and he led the way God wanted him to do. And he showed every ruler that worked, that he worked under who God really was. Daniel was one of these three director or three leaders directly in charge of all the kingdom under Darius. And he shined above the other two leaders. He was the big dog of them all. He was faithful to everyone he worked under and dealt fairly between the people and the rulers. He never let anyone, either or the ruler or the people, take advantage of the other one. Daniel had a good attitude in his work and life. And when we know what happens when we do the same thing, we put that big old target on our chest and on our backs and we are attacked relentlessly. I worked for a man a whole bunch of years ago. And I just, and you, I'm sure you've heard me mention his name several times. I just always called him Uncle Mark. And we were setting tile together all the time. We traveled together. We roomed together. I mean, we did everything together. And Uncle Mark always had this saying that I really liked because he didn't like really the guy that we worked under because he was always kind of picking on Uncle Mark. But Uncle Mark always had this saying and he would stand there after somebody would get him and he would hold his hands up and he would stand up and he goes, I am like the mighty oak. I sway and I bend in the breeze, but I shall never break. And this is the same type of attitude that Daniel had. Think of all the things and challenges that he went through in his life. He was taken as he was a young kid and served under Nebuchadnezzar. He dealt with things that most people have never had to deal with. He always bent with the winds of change, but never broke. Even when God kept him in the dark on things. Does God always tell you exactly what's going to take place? Or does he give you hints that you have to keep your eyeballs open to see? What Daniel, he may not have necessarily understood what God was doing at the time, but he trusted God with his life, knowing that God had something great in mind. But as the saying that we've been using the last three or four times says, but if not, but if not, it was still all right. He wouldn't turn his back on God because even if he was to die, he'd be in a great place. Daniel 6, verses 4 through 9. Then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel regarding government affairs. But they could not find, they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption because he was trustworthy. 
and no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against Daniel unless we find it against him regarding the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by an agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who offers a prayer to any God or person besides you, O king, for 30 days, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that we will not be changed, or so that it will not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Thereupon King Darius signed the document. That is the injunction. Daniel was such a faithful man that those who looked for a flaw in him looked at his character, looked at his actions, couldn't find a single thing. They always came up empty. Daniel has to be somewhere around the age of 70 at this point in time. Darius is like his third ruler that he's been under. With this in mind, he's been in charge of a lot of officials' entire life. With that in mind, compare this to today's life, some of our politicians. And I am not pointing, uh, making an accusation or a pointed accusation or a implying anything toward any one political person at this time that's in office. Because as you know, I do not preach politics from the pulpit. We all know that a candidate or a nominee for political office is set under the same kind of scrutiny that Daniel was put under by these other guys that worked for him. They dug into every aspect of his life and found nothing. Can you imagine looking as hard as you can at a public servant in office some 50 years and finding nothing? No fraudulent expense accounts, no intern scandals, no questionable business deals, no gifts from lobbyists, no accusations from his staff. Simply put, there were no skeletons in Daniel's closet. He was innocent as the pure driven snow. His enemies examined his life and found nothing to attack him on. So they had to make something up. This wasn't to imply that Daniel was actually sinless, because after all, he's still a man. And all men are sinful. But that he was a man of great integrity. We could also say that Daniel was especially blameless in the conduct of his professional life. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 21 or we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of other people. Everybody could see him. Everybody could see what his actions were this entire time. And he was somebody you could look up to. These men knew Daniel very well. They knew that he could be not trapped into something evil, but they also knew that he would be faithful to his God in all circumstances, which means well, we have to come up with something that will make him do something against his own God. Every Christian should consider it and think about it. Do others see you the same way? Do they see 
your relationship with God? Do they look at you and go, this is a person of integrity? The world may not know the details of doctrine or intimacies of worship with God, but they can still see when you have a bad temper. If you're selfish, if you're conceited or dishonest, they see it, they know it. If the enemies of Daniel knew him and it was the way he lived, they also knew Darius just about as well. They knew they could appeal to Darius's pride and his desire for a unified kingdom. Proverbs 29.5 says, a man who flatters his neighbor is spreading the net for his steps. As ridiculous as it sounded, this was the plan that they had hatched. They had brought before the king to be signed and passed into law. No one could pray to another god or pray to another individual or even ask somebody for help. If you did and you got caught, you were to be thrown into the lion's den and get killed. Now, no one could you know, sit there and look at this on the surface and say that there is nothing that would indicate that it was made to do anything but good. I mean, after all, the king is new and he would, and this would demonstrate just what kind of a great king he is because it's saying, I, know, I want to know what you think. I want to know what you want because, gosh, I can provide everything that you need. For 30 days, he will be ready to give audience to anybody whatsoever in the kingdom. He will listen to them and he will grant to them the things that they ask. I would have to believe that this, uh, believe that all kings would love for this to happen to them. To know that your people that you rule over, they love you. They want to be around you. They applaud you. To have people know that he really cares. Well, or think that he would. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. We all know that God is the only being that we should make those types of requests of. Can a man do what God can do? Of course not. If we bypass him, it steals his honor and his glory. This law, however, was, not, was either not read by the king very closely or he didn't ask enough questions. Because when you think about this law, what did it not take into consent or consideration of? Things like, what if a homeless guy begs somebody for some bread? Is he petitioning someone else? Of course he is. What if your neighbor needed to borrow a tool from you? Is he guilty of breaking this law? What about if your child says, Dad, Mom, can I have a piece of bread? They would get captured and thrown in the lion's den and be killed. And I'm sure that you could think of a whole bunch of other examples just like these to use. This was a bad thing. Daniel's enemies also knew that the people could be persuaded to do things that they would not normally do if everyone else approved. I mean, after all, what they tell the king? We talked to everybody. And they all agreed this was a great idea. Of course they lied. And you know how we know that? Because Daniel was never consulted. 
We all know it's a lie because Daniel was one of them governors. He was in charge of all of them, just like he's been the entire time. And it was established, it was an established principle in the, in the uh, Medo-Persian Empire that when a king formally signed a document, it cannot be changed. It was against the law for the king to even change it. Why? Well, because when just like everything else and other, other, other kings you ever heard of, well, they got their word from God, the God that they served, and they can't say their God was wrong. So therefore, they could never change anything. Think about if, that was, if this type of stuff was made into law in our country today. If they had their way and says, you cannot pray to any God, you cannot talk to another person, but you have to go to the leaders in Congress or you have to go to the president. And if you don't, you're going to die. How many people in the United States do you think would quit praying for 30 days? Probably a whole bunch of them especially if they knew there was such a harsh penalty for even getting caught. Daniel 6, verses 10 through 15. Now when Daniel learned that the document was signed, he entered in his house and in his roof chamber he had, the, had windows open towards Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and offering praise before his God, just as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel offering a prayer, imploring favor before his God. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any person who offers a prayer to any God or person besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be thrown in the lion's den? The king replied, this statement is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians which may not be revoked. Then they responded and spoke before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction which you sign, but he keeps offering his prayer three times a day. Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on rescuing Daniel. And until sunset, he kept exerting himself to save him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Recognize, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Boy, doesn't this sound familiar? Remember Daniel's three friends? They were sitting there and they wouldn't bow down to that big old tall statue that Nebuchadnezzar made. And he threw them in the fiery furnace and they survived. Daniel knew that this law was signed and he knew it contained that severe penalty. He didn't care. Daniel was confronted with a test of loyalties. He was a loyal subject of his king. He did what the king needed, yet he knew that the king of kings, the God of God, the Lord of lords, played second fiddle to none. He had a higher loyalty to him. Daniel refused to give the government the measure of obedience that belonged to God alone. Wouldn't you do the same, no matter what? No, you cannot pray to anybody but a congresswoman, 
a Senate leader or the president. And if you do, you're going to die. And Daniel said, tough. Then I guess I'll die. It's in God's hands. Daniel knew the safest thing that he could do was radically obey God, which is what I hope all of us would do. It isn't hard to see why people are men pleasers today, though, when you think about it, because it seems like people have the power to hire and fire us. It seems like people have the opportunities to break our hearts. It seems like they have the opportunity to slander us, to make us make our, our lives generally miserable. The power to obey God and stand for him comes from a settled understanding that God is really in control. You as humans may break my heart. You make my life miserable. You can hire, you can fire. But who's really in control? God. John 14, 27. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled nor fearful. Daniel didn't let that decree change his actions one way or the other. He didn't do more praying or less praying. He simply continued his prayer life as usual. We can only assume what Daniel's custom was in his prayer life by how a religious Jew prays. He prayed in his house, sometimes alone, sometimes with friends, Either way, it was always done in reverence. In every prayer, he gave thanks. When he prayed to God for the mercies, he prayed and he praised Him for what he received. Isn't it how we're supposed to pray to God also? When we ask for things, thank you for the things that you've done for us already. I hate to bother you, but can you cover this too? Can you take care of us and bless us the way you always have? When he prayed, he gave thanks upon his knee, while kneeling on his knees. One of the two most reverent positions you can be in when you pray. On your knees, the other one is fully prostrated on the ground. He opened the windows of his chamber towards Jerusalem. Why? Because that's when he left, that's where the temple was. That's where the house of God was. Psalm 55, 17. Evening and morning and at noon, I will complain and moan and he will hear my voice. This is how David prayed. And Daniel followed that example. Also remember that Daniel was still one of those governors, which means he was a very busy individual. And guess what? He still found time to pray. I don't care how busy you are. There's always time to pray. Those that wanted to get rid of Daniel found him just as they knew they would, deep in prayer. For Daniel, prayer was both a communication with God and pleading for his will to be accomplished, which is how we pray. These men had to be watching Daniel before this decree was put out just to understand how his life functioned. What he did every moment of every day and they discover three times a day at the same time, this guy gets down and prays. They finally have what they need to get rid of him. 
They went and told the king, this Daniel character disrespects you. He doesn't care what you sign. He doesn't care about the laws that you make. This was not true. Daniel intended no disrespect for the king, only a higher respect for God. Jeremiah 10, 14, every person is stupid, devoid of knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his cast mouth images are deceitful, and there is no breath in them. There is a lot to like about King Darius, though, when you think about it. Think about what he did. One of the admirable things that he did was that he was displeased with himself. He knew that what he signed now was not a good thing, and he should have thought a lot longer before doing it. Instead of blaming others, he knew that he was at fault. We can be sure that he wasn't happy with Daniel's enemies. They tricked him, but he ultimately knew he was responsible. Like Darius, our foolish decisions often haunt us, don't they? Often we all we can do is to pray and ask God to mercifully and miraculously intervene when we make a foolish decision. According to ancient Eastern customs, the execution was supposed to be carried out at sundown. At the end of the day, Darius worked as long as he could to keep this from happening. He knew it wasn't right. But when the people saw these other guys that framed this whole thing, saw that what was going on, they went in to the king and reminded him, in no uncertain terms, you can't change the law, buddy. You'd better carry it out or else. They applied pressure. Daniel 6, verses 16 through 18. Then the king gave orders, and Daniel was brought in and thrown in the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, Your God, whom you continually serve, will himself rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles, so that nothing would be changed regarding Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no entertainment was brought in before him. And his sleep fled from him. Darius had faith. And it was faith born out of Daniel's trust in the Lord. The idea was, dude, I tried my best. I did the very best I could for you, Daniel, but I failed. Now it is up to your God. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 9 through 11. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who rescued us from so great a danger of death and will rescue us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. If you also join in helping us through your prayers, so that thanks be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor granted us through the prayers of men. Darius, he, he knew. He knew Daniel's character. Many of us occasionally display God's character and wisdom before the world. But then we do something silly that counteracts us what we showed. They see our walk, and then they don't. It's confusing. Daniel's testimony was made by continual service. After placing Daniel in the den, he sealed the rock cover. This may have been to protect Daniel as much as to make sure that somebody didn't rescue him. Because remember, these guys hated him. They wanted him dead. 
That's why they came up with what they did. And I have to really believe that Daniel had a better night's rest than Darius did. Even amongst all those lions. We can be sure that Daniel prayed in the lion's den because it was simply his habit to pray. And he prayed a lot. He did not need to start praying on this remarkable occasion because of the habit of prayer that he already ingrained in his life. Who knows? Perhaps Daniel prayed just like it says in Psalms 22, verses 21 and 22. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answer me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. For all we know, Daniel enjoyed his time in the lion's den. Because after all, there was a presence of an angel. He may have seen the angel, he may not have. He may have been singing praises. I just don't know. What I do know, though, is this. When we find ourselves in trouble, maybe even life-threatening, do we really worry about it? Do we worry about an illness like cancer? Do we worry about other things that we, that we put ourselves in harm's way about? I'm sure he didn't. He knew that God would protect him. But if not, it didn't matter because God would bring him to a better place. When I broke my arm, I ended up at the doctor's office and it got this nasty infection in it. It was terrible. It had kind of a funky smell to boot. And I had to go back to the doctor about three times over the next five days. And he put me on this, these heavy doses of antibiotics. He was concerned. Amy was concerned. I was not concerned. And Doc Davis asked me, you do, you do know that this could be a nasty infection? I'm like, yeah. After the second visit, Amy said, you do know what he's worried about, right? I'm like, yeah. He's worried that this might be a staph infection. I might lose my arm. And when I saw him the last time, when it was getting all, a lot better, I told him, if I lose the arm, I lose it. Who cares? You just put on a mechanical one that's probably better than the one I got. This is how Daniel probably felt. If I lose my life, I'm going to be in a way better place. I'll be with God. Yes. Well, we know that Daniel didn't get ed up. Daniel 6, verses 19 through 23. Then the king got up at dawn at the break of day and went in a hurry to the lion's den. And when he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king began speaking and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you continually serve been able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths. And they have not harmed me since I was found innocent before him. And also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very glad and gave orders for Daniel to be lifted out of the den. So Daniel was lifted up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Darius, we're told he couldn't sleep. He fasted, he did no entertainment. He was awake all night long 
And for him to rise so early in the morning, my guess is he was up before the crack of dawn. He was still dark out when he started heading towards the lion's den. So that he could be there when that first little ray of light appeared. And he called out, Daniel, are you okay? When Darius heard Daniel's voice, he knew that he had not only survived the night, but that the lions would not or could not touch this servant of God. Isn't that exciting? Again, I don't know if Daniel saw an angel or not, but he certainly knew that God had sent an angel to rescue him. Hebrews 1, 14, are not all angels ministering spirits uh, spirit sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? God sent an angel to serve Daniel's need. Daniel did not break the king's law, but he did not go against the king or against the king's best interest either. Daniel is an example of obedient disobedience. There is such a thing you know. Daniel was preserved through faith. Though his cause was righteous and he was unjustly accused, those things alone did not protect him from the lions. Daniel needed a living, abiding faith in God, even in the most difficult circumstances. And because of his faith, Daniel is recognized in Hebrews 11.33 as one of those people that had such strong faith that it stopped the mouths of the lions. The power of God sent an angel to protect Daniel in response to a prayer of faith coming from a consistent abiding walk. Daniel 6.24, the king then gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and they threw them, their children and their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. No one had to ask Darius to do this. He was ready and willing to bring justice to those who plotted against Daniel, whether Daniel died or not. But they also threw in the children and the wives. Now this sounds like that was pretty stinking severe. What did the children and the wives have to do with this, the thoughts of the evil men? Well, among the ancient customs of the Persians, an ancient writer named Aminus Marcellinus wrote that the Persians, the laws among them are formidable, by which on account of the guilt of one, all the kindred perish. Darius was not happy with these men. And he wanted to make sure that the kingdom itself knew don't ever pull this type of garbage again. Psalm 7, verses 14 through 16. Behold, an evil person is pregnant with injustice, and he conceives harm and gives birth to lies. He has dug a pit and hollowed it out, and has fallen in the hole which he made. His harm will return on his own head, and his violence will descend on the top of his own head. It's always interesting to see how the evil plans of men usually come back to bite them. In the same way that they wanted to harm others. These men are no different. They had thought out a horrible death for the man they despised and hated. And in the end, they were killed along with their families in the manner they themselves had devised. They were dead even before they reached the bottom of that pit. Daniel 6, verses 25 through 28. 
Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples and nations and populations of all languages who were living in all the land. May your peace be great. I issue a decree that in all the realm of my kingdom, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And his dominion will be forever. He rescues, saves, and performs signs and miracles in heaven and on earth. He who has also rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Every king that Daniel served under came to this same conclusion. They all basically give the same kind of decrees. Fear the one true God, the one that Daniel serves. He does good for everybody. The book of Daniel follows a very familiar pattern. God's people stand firm in their convictions and well, God honors and protects them. And the testimony of God's work makes the ungodly see and tell of the greatness of God. The point is plain. When we stand firm in godly convictions and honor God, even when it costs something, others will see the testimony and be impressed. Not with us, but with the God we serve. I would really like to believe that Darius came to see and know God a whole lot quicker than Nebuchadnezzar did. James 1, verses 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. We need to carefully review our walk with Christ. We need to look at our walk. Is it visible to others? Does our walk draw people to God? Are we reflecting his character like we're supposed to? Or are we wavering when times get tough? Standing firm in times of trouble is a great builder of our faith with God and shows others just how great our God is. That's the way we should be. That's the way we need to be. As Christians, we should fear nothing. We should not worry about anything because God is in control. Let's go to prayer.